Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we confess that you are Lord. Uh, you are the one that deserves all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the worship. Jesus, we confess that you are our Lord and our King and our Savior, and yet you're the one who humbled yourself. You're the one who, were the, the one who was the most humble, that you became a servant. You gave your life. You emptied yourself out for us to rescue us, to renew us, to give us life. And so because of that, Jesus, we worship and we treasure you. Jesus, you are not only our Lord and Savior, you're also our example. So would you show us what it means today to actually walk in humility, to be humble the way that you were, to actually walk in a humility that we empty ourselves out for others. We count others more significant than ourselves, that we actually want to serve others because you have served us in this way. And so would you come this morning and uh, God, show us what it means to walk in this. Show us what it means to be a humble people that uh, look like your son, that show a city, that show a world that is so proud, so arrogant at times, so boastful at times. Help us to show a better way. And that's the way of humility and walking in uh, the same path that your son walked in, the same path of, um, of serving, of giving ourselves to others, of loving the fact that our Savior is the one who went first and humbled himself and shows us what it means to actually be a people who are humble. God, give us the grace to be like that this morning as we uh, just think about and Meditate on what it means to look at your son, uh, his humility and the way that he empties himself out for us. Help us to see that today, God, and be like your son, Jesus, um, that the world may see his goodness and taste and see, uh, God, that you were good. And we ask all these things in your great name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We're in a series right now um, called Unique, and we're looking at uh, some of the things that make the uh, make the gospel, what that makes the, the Christian faith unique, what, what sets us apart from other uh, worldviews, other religions. And so we've seen so far how uh, there is this unique authority, how the Word of God, it sits over us, that God rules over us uh, by, his, uh, by His inspired Word. Uh, we have this unique trinity that we have a God who is uh, one God but three persons, which is a mystery for us to understand, but He's nonetheless one God that uh, shows himself in three, uh, three distinct persons. And then last week was our unique humanity, how we are uh, made in the image and likeness of God. Um, this morning is on the unique humility that Jesus demonstrates for us through his death, uh, through his life and death, and how we're called to show the same humility uh, as, Paul, uh, as Paul says here. Now, Ross gave me this topic. I'm not really sure why. Uh, either I'm really humble and you have much to learn from me, or I'm really proud and I need to be humbled. So I was afraid to ask. I'm not really sure where, uh, where it lands, but uh, alas, here, uh, here we are. So let's begin with the text. What is, what is Paul saying here? Um, essentially, in that, that latter half of the text, Paul is saying that God the Son, as we saw a few weeks ago, God the Son, who is uh, co-eternal, uh, co-equal with uh, God the Father and God the Spirit, he took on flesh, he humbles himself, and he becomes one of us. God the Son, uh, he took on flesh, and he dwells among us, and he became human. And so he was fully God, and he was fully man, and he reveals perfectly to us who God is. He shows us the nature, the character of who this God is. Uh, he died on a cross in our place for our sin. He rose again. And then Paul says here that now Jesus Christ has the name that is above every name. Just imagine that of all the names in human history, Jesus Christ is at the top of the list. 
And so of all of the rulers and emperors and authorities and CEOs and celebrities and athletes and presidents, Jesus Christ is above all of them. No one is higher is what Paul is, uh, is saying here. But the main point I think Paul's making is that uh, God the Son humbled himself. And so what he says is that he's equal with God. So he has all of the rights, all of the privileges, all of the, the power of God. But Paul says he didn't grasp that. Um, the word grasp just means to, it means to seize or to hold on to something. And so Jesus didn't hold on to all the status, all the power of being God, unlike, by the way, unlike the other gods of the culture at that time. So Philippi, where this letter was written, was a Roman colony and Caesar was Lord there. Caesar was declared to be a God and he is Lord there. He was the one who would grasp and seize all the power. Jesus is not like him. Instead, he empties himself out. He pours um, himself out. He becomes a servant and get this, he becomes obedient to death. Think of this, that the author of life, that life himself lets death rule over him and he dies on a bloody, shameful Roman cross. And Paul says that God exalted him. God raises him up, God exalts him now. He has the name that's above every name and that's why he's worthy of your worship and your devotion and your surrender and your time and your resources and everything that you are. And it's because he is the most humble. That's what Paul's saying here. Now here's what, here's what Paul's not saying. Let's be real clear uh, on this. Paul is not saying that when God the Son humbled himself, that that was a strange or a hard thing for God the Son to do. You see that? Paul's not telling us that it was hard for God the Son to become a servant and humble himself and pour himself out. It wasn't a foreign thing for God to do that. I think we read this text, I've read this text before and thought how strange of God to humble himself. How, how strange of our God, how foreign of our God to actually uh, be this low and humble himself in this way and uh, die for us in this way. That's not what Paul's saying here. Jesus reveals God perfectly to us. And so if you wanna see what God's like, look at Jesus. You wanna know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And so Jesus reveals all the nature, all of the character of God. And so if Jesus is that humble, that means God is humble. If Jesus is this kind of servant, that means that God is this kind of servant um, for us. And so our God is a humble God. You ever thought about that? That at the center of this divine being is humility. Um, he's not self-serving, he's not selfish, he's not conceited, he's not puffed up. There is no pride whatsoever in God. He is true humility. And so Jesus shows us what this God is like. He is this humble God, yet he has all of the power. And so here's a God who has all the power, yet he is the most humble. Just think on the fact that Jesus has all power right now for a moment. Over everything that exists, Jesus has authority and power over whatever it is in existence. Jesus has the final say-so on that thing. He has all the power. So we teach uh, our kids that, I teach my kids that God does not just have, you know, bigger muscles than we do. God has all the muscles. Um, he doesn't just have power, he has all of the power. Um, I don't know why, for some reason, I find the Chuck Norris humor really, uh, really hilarious. So if you don't know 
who Chuck Norris is. I hope you do. Um, he's Walker, Texas Ranger. He was this 1980s action star. He's now a home fitness guru, but he's Chuck Norris, okay? And there's all this humor right now um, around Chuck Norris, like in memes and, and gifts online and so forth. And it's just this really over the top kind of macho humor that I just find um, hilarious. So I'm gonna read you uh, a few of these. So uh, here's one I found this week. The flu, the flu has to get a Chuck Norris shot once a year. Uh, Chuck Norris died, but he's okay now. Um, Chuck Norris was in all the Star Wars movies. He was the force. And here's the one I think is, I think my favorite of all, I don't know how many hundreds of these are out there. Um, Sylvester Stallone, there's one where Stallone asked Chuck Norris, how many push-ups can you do? And Chuck Norris says, all of them. I don't know why I find that, maybe something's wrong with me, but I just find that somewhat, somewhat comical. But that's actually the power that Jesus has. He, doesn't, he can't just do some push-ups. He can do all the push-ups. He has all of the power, all of the authority over anything and everything in existence. Jesus Christ has authority over everything, and yet he's the most humble. We've never seen someone like this in, in human history. Anyone that has power usually grasps that power and holds on to that power and will not give that power away. Jesus Christ has all the power, yet he's the greatest servant in human history. He is the most humble. He is the one who humbles himself. He is the true picture of what humility is. So I'll show you um, one of the uh, verses about this. Uh, Mark chapter 10, you've heard this verse, I'm sure a lot um, from us and other places. Mark 10, Jesus tells us the reason that he came. Uh, that he takes on flesh and dwells among us. Mark 10, uh, 45, Jesus says this, for even the son of man came not to be served. Okay, again, this is unlike any other God. This is unlike Caesar of the day. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come to serve? Because that's who he is. He's, he's a servant. And so him coming to earth and serving wasn't a new thing for God, like it was some strange new thing for God to do. No, God's always been serving us. God's always been stooping down and reaching out and pursuing us and protecting us and watching over us and preserving us and loving us, despite the fact that we didn't deserve any of that. God's always the one who's been moving first and coming toward us. This is who our God is. Is. He's a humble God. Uh, John Dixon is a uh, Australian. He's a uh, scholar, New Testament scholar. He has a book written years ago called Humilitas. Um, and the book is a biography of humility. It's a fascinating read if you ever have a chance to, to check it out. But what Dixon shows, he shows how ancient cultures uh, and then also modern cultures viewed this virtue of humility. And what he says is that if you look in, uh, in ancient uh, Rome and Greece, which is where Jesus lived, the Greco-Roman world, if you look at how they viewed humility, um, it was never on their virtues list. Um, so all of their philosophers, their you know, public intellectuals, they all had some version of what the good life ought to look like. Uh, they all had some list of virtues, be this and not this. Every culture has that. And what Dixon says is that you will not find humility on any Roman or Greek uh, ancient culture's virtue list. It wasn't on there. In fact, humility was seen as a weakness. Um, what the Greeks and Romans loved was power, 
um, and glory and self-congratulation and honor. They wanted the highest seat and the highest name. Humility was nowhere on their radar. It was beneath them. Uh, in fact, what Dixon says is that they had a word that described them, the ancient Greeks was, and that word was philotemia, which means love of honor. They loved honor. They loved glory and power and might and victory, not lost. Not, humility was for everyone who was beneath them. Um, and so they were never, never seen as, humility was never seen as being a virtue, it was always seen as um, beneath them. And what Dixon says is that Jesus Christ brought humility um, into moral thought. Jesus came along and showed us that the way to greatness is by being humble. The way to, be, to find honor is by being a servant. And the way to be great is to be the least and the servant of all. That is what true greatness actually is. And Jesus Christ showed us this. Um, this is revolutionary is what, uh, is what Dixon says, that he shows us that the path to glory um, is a very, very low path, a path of serving uh, a path of laying down your life, a path of pouring yourself out because that's who our God is. And this is why our God hates pride so much. If you read the Bible, I mean, from cover to cover, you see that God, the one thing that God abhors is pride. Uh, at every turn, God is always condemning uh, and mocking in the Proverbs and warning against us being proud and arrogant and boastful. I'll give you a few of those verses. So here's what... Proverbs 15, 25 says, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. He destroys everything, he says, of the proud, but maintains the widow, who would be the most humble of, uh, of the day, maintains the widow's boundaries. First Peter 5, 5, but God opposes the proud. You wanna put yourself in opposition to who God is? Paul, uh, Peter says that you're if you're proud, God opposes you, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus says in Luke 14, let everyone who exalts himself be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, last thing, in a more positive note, uh, Isaiah 66 says this, uh, God says, all these things has my hand made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There are countless verses like this. So the point is, God loves humility. God sees humility as something that's, that's like him. God hates pride. Why is that? Uh, well, here's why. Whenever you're walking in, you and I are walking in arrogance and conceit, and we're trying to just find our own glory, we are the most unlike our God in those moments. You know why God hates pride? Because it's the most unlike him you can possibly be because our God is humble. In addition to all this, uh, every, every sin finds its root in pride. Whenever you sin, just whatever the, the sin is that you wrestle with, that you struggle with the most, that you, that you commit, you and I uh, commit the most, pride is at the root of that sin. We're lifting ourselves up um, against God and against God's law. Um, Carl F. Henry, a theologian, once said that pride is the font of sin. Uh, that whenever you sin, it is laced with pride because we're lifting ourselves up, we're disregarding who God is and what God has said to us, and we are being the most unlike God we can possibly be. And this is why God hates pride so much. And this is not how God treats us, by the way. Look at Jesus' life. So Jesus said some 
to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders, he said some scathing things, some very hard things to them. But the point was to expose their pride and actually humble them. He was trying to make them humble. But the way Jesus deals with us, he always deals with us in humility. Um, the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, the broken, the Gentiles, the sinners, uh, the way he treats them is always with humility. Uh, here's what Jesus says. You've heard this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And the ESV translates that next word as lowly and lowly. It's the same word for humility that Paul uses in Philippians chapter two. He's humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, you can't, you can't find rest in a proud, conceited God. There's no rest in that kind of God. No, you find rest in this God that treats us this way, who is humble, who is gentle. At his very heart, Jesus says, I'm humble. At the very center of who Jesus is, is humility. And that's where you find your rest. And so you find your, your rest in this God who loves us in this way. And so no matter what your condition, no matter what your state, this is why you can always come to God. No matter where you are right in this moment, no matter what your, how your heart is right now, how your mind is toward God, how your thoughts are toward God, whatever they are, you can always come to him because he's this kind of God. He's this humble for us. This is how our God treats us. See, our God is so humble that he would be willing to die for us. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says that Jesus Christ is so humble that he is willing to lay his life down for us. What other religion can say that? What other faith out there can say that, that their God died for them? No one else can say this. Only Christianity can offer you a God who actually is humble enough to die for you. That's what Paul says, that he humbles himself to the point of death even death on a cross. You wanna see humility? You look at Jesus hanging on a cross. You wanna see what humility actually looks like? You see the Son of God hanging there, innocent but treated guilty for us, humble, uh, broken for us. You see him hanging there. That is what humility actually looks like because this is who our God is. Now, what Paul does with this though, Paul doesn't just say um, to admire this humility, uh, he doesn't just say to write songs about this, though those are worthy things to do. Paul says to actually be like this. Look what Paul says back up earlier in our, in our text before Paul gets to this uh, language about uh, who Jesus is. In verse five, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into, he was you know, equal with God. He humbles himself. He became all this. Paul says, you take that mindset into your life and you be like this. And so now you live this out. Jesus Christ humbled himself, dies for us to make us humble, um, to rid us of all pride, all arrogance, all conceit, all self-congratulation. He dies to actually make us a humble people. So if you wanna see what humility is, look at Jesus. You wanna actually receive humility, go to Jesus. It's the same thing. And so we look to Jesus to see what humility is and we look to Jesus to actually receive this humility. And so what does that look like in 
uh, in real time. Let me show you what, uh, what Paul says here uh, in these two verses, verses three and four, then we'll kind of end our time with this. Uh, verse three, Paul says this. So in light of who Jesus is and what he has done, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's pretty comprehensive, right? And so you do nothing. In anything that you do, you do nothing that has selfish ambition, which we'll get to in what that means in a bit, and conceit that is with that thing, you shouldn't do that. So uh, some of you I know are, are Office fans. I love The Office. There's a place where uh, my favorite character, Dwight Schrute, uh, says, before I do something, I ask myself, would an idiot do this? And if so, I do not do that thing. Um, that's what Paul's saying here. If you're, before you do something, if there is selfish ambition or conceit in that thing, then you do not do that thing in that way. So all that you do, it should not have selfish ambition or conceit, but rather he gives the more positive side now, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So here's how I would wanna, I wanna do this. So in your mind, if you can right now, just picture two big columns, okay? Uh, on one side, you have you, right? You have your name at the top, okay? On the other column, you have everyone else that you interact with, your friends, your family, your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, your book club, uh, your Fortnite or your Halo squad, whatever it is, everyone else in the other column and you're in you know, the, the, the first column. And so what Paul says here in, in a sense is that you write something in each column about each, uh, each, each side. Okay, so what you don't write for your column is insignificant. Okay, Paul does not say here that you count yourself as insignificant. That's not what he means here. Uh, Paul says you count others as more significant, but you don't count yourself as insignificant uh, because, I mean, because you matter, your life matters. Uh, your life is overflowing with purpose and meaning and value. You matter to us, you matter to Jesus. Your life counts and it matters. You're good enough and you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you, all right? Uh, so you matter. So don't write insignificant, okay? But you just write the word significant in your column, okay? Now, what Paul, I think, is saying is just leave it alone. Leave it at that. Don't mess with your side, Okay, don't try to make yourself more significant. Don't try to lift yourself up. Don't try to boast in yourself. In fact, that's what that little word conceit means. Um, the word conceit, it, it is two Greek words that Paul uses there. Uh, it's vain and glory. And what it means is that you're trying to create and manufacture your own glory. You're trying to make yourself more significant and count more and matter more and get more approval and more status. And Paul just says, leave it alone. Just find your rest in Jesus, find your significance in him. Okay, so in your column, all right, significant. In the other column though, whatever has everyone else in that, Paul says that you write more significant. You see that? And then that's how you then relate to them, how you posture yourself toward them. And so it looks like this, it looks like you, you showing them more honor. Uh, it means that you show them deference, uh, that you value their opinion, uh, that you listen, you really listen to their story and what they have to say and who they are. Uh, you assume the best about them and not the worst. 
You don't assume that they are trying to rob you of joy, that they're the enemy of your joy. No, you assume the best about them, not the worst about them. Um, You're patient with them. You esteem them. You ask good questions. You really, really care um, about them. That's what it means to count others as more significant. You're trying to actually be for them. You're not trying to one-up them. That's what selfish ambition means. Um, Selfish ambition means that you're just using people but not actually loving and caring for them and their well-being. Or you're just trying to lower them and elevate yourself. You're trying to get over them and elevate yourself above them and put yourself as more significant than who they are. And Paul says that we can't do this. There's a better way. That Jesus humbles himself and shows us a better way. And that way is the way of humility and serving. He makes you so secure that you can now do this, by the way. If you find your significance in Jesus, you become so secure and your life is filled up with him and so full of life with him, then you can actually be for others. You can celebrate them and rejoice with them and root for them and cheer for them without having envy and jealousy and pride, just hijacking everything. This is the way that Jesus um, shows us and that he has for us. And then Paul goes on, verse four, let each of you look not only, again, uh, this, your, your interests matter, not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't look to his own interest, He pours himself out and he looks to our interests and he serves us, he gives himself for us. And so now Paul says, you look to others, you look out for their interests and their hopes and their dreams and their fears and their anxieties and their desires and what they want, what their interests are. You just think about that. You ask good questions about that. Um, I think what it means is this, you find a way to celebrate something in others Um, So there's a place in uh, Acts chapter 11 where uh, Barnabas goes to Antioch. Uh, Antioch is where the gospel has just gotten there and some Greeks are, uh, they're embracing Jesus and uh, and the way of uh, of the gospel. Now you go back into Acts chapter 10 where Peter, uh, you know, Peter sees this vision. Um, So far, only only Jews have become Christians at this point in Acts chapter 10. Peter's on a roof one day, uh, sees this sheet come down from heaven, all these unclean animals uh, and and things are on this. And God says to him, rise, kill and eat, which by the way, wasn't about deer season, had nothing to do with that. Um, it, It is a way of totally just changing Peter's mind and turning his world upside down. And what he's saying is now the Gentiles... Now the unclean Gentiles, the pagans who have no Torah, no law, no morals, God wants them now is what, uh, is what Peter's seeing. And so Acts chapter 11, uh, the gospel goes to Antioch, which was a pagan city um, of, uh, of the day. And the gospel is spreading there. So Barnabas goes to check this out. The Gentiles, the Greeks are getting the gospel and receiving this. And Barnabas goes, here's what happens. I love this verse, Acts 11. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. So Barnabas shows up to Antioch. Here are Gentiles, here are unclean Gentiles. He is Jewish, he sees them. They are worshiping Jesus and he's glad. He rejoices in this and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Here is a Jew um, who goes into a pagan city and sees Greeks turning to his God now. And the first thing that he does is he rejoices. Listen, they have no theology. 
They have no doctrine. They have no ethics right now. They don't know who Tim Keller is. They have no idea. And Barnabas sees this and he rejoices over this. Notice he's not going in there. He's not suspicious about this. He's not jealous about this. He's not going, well, we'll see. I mean, they are Greeks. We'll see what happens. No, he goes and he sees God working and he rejoices over this. I think in our flesh, we find a way to be skeptical, to be suspicious, to ask, you know, ask all the wrong questions. The first thing he does, he sees this and he rejoices with them. That's what humility looks like in, uh, in, in real time. That's what looking to others' interests looks like in real time, which by the way, is why Paul is always moving us outward toward others. Notice Paul doesn't just say here, be humble, okay? Because how do you do that? I mean, do you just count to 10? Do you do some breathing exercises? I mean, how, how do you exert humility? And then how do you avoid pride once you are actually being humble? You ever think things like, I am being so humble right now. And now you've ruined it. Now, now you're back to pride. So the moment you, the moment you catch yourself being humble, um, your pride sees that and just boasts in itself. And so how in the world do you, how do you be humble is the question. The answer is that you look to others' interests. So if you, if you aim at humility, you will likely get pride. But if you aim at others and their interests and their hopes and their dreams and who they are, you'll become more and more humble the way Jesus, uh, the way Jesus actually is. There's a place where uh, C.S. Lewis has, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, has a uh, chapter called The Great Sin. Uh, it's on pride. Um, and Lewis says that whenever you meet a humble person, you, you won't be, they won't be telling you how much of a nobody they are. Um, Lewis says, probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. That's humility, Lewis says. I love this, he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Don't you love that? So uh, as Tim Keller has said, humility is not thinking less about your, you know, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You're not thinking about who you are and your ambitions and your desires and your dreams. You're thinking about others more. That's what humility is. And that's the way that Jesus shows us. How, how radical is this? I mean, just, just imagine if we let the gospel sink so far down into who we are, into our imagination, into our hearts, that we actually became humble like this, and we walked into a room counting others as more significant than ourselves. I mean, how, how, how irrational was that to everyone in the world around us? That if we actually look to not ourselves and our agenda and what we desire and our reputation and our name and our status, but we actually look to others and their interests. You see how, how, how revolutionary this is? I think most of us though, we're so prone to lift ourselves up, um, to protect ourselves, to cater to ourselves, to seek honor for ourselves, but Jesus is showing us a better way. Um, I, have, uh, I have three sons and my, my youngest son, he's seven years old, uh, he, he's this strange combination of really, really sweet and torch the earth on a whim. 
uh, kind of kid. He's always outside, always roaming the neighborhood, rarely has a shirt on, never wears shoes. Uh, and he always wears these really tight Mickey Mouse pants. I have no idea why. Uh, I think they're gonna rot off of him eventually because he always has the things on. Uh, but, but he's this amazing kid. Last week I was on the couch watching, uh, I think some game. He comes down and sits beside me and he's acting completely normal. I mean, he's not like playing a joke or a prank. He's just sitting there, just talking. And it's just a normal conversation for about 20 or so minutes. All of a sudden he stands up and he has a shirt this time, which is rare, pulls his shirt up. And I'm not kidding you, from his tight Mickey Mouse pants, he pulls out this gigantic hammer, like a real hammer. I'm like, I'm like, where did you, why do you have this? And he goes, I found it. I might need it at some point. Um, I, I, it was just this amazing moment with him. I think most of us function like that. I think most of us, we don't wake up just raging with pride and just wanting to honor ourselves and just, you know, just thinking only of ourselves. I mean, in general, we're, for the most part, we're humble and we're not just, we're not trying to gain glory for ourselves, but you let someone cross us. Um, you, you let someone one-up us or insult us or disrespect us or undermine us. We just grab our hammer and go to work, don't we? And we, we correct things, we one-up someone else, we criticize, we defend ourselves, we protect ourselves. And then we're going into what Paul says, this vain glory, this conceit, we're puffed up with this. And that's how, we, uh, that's how the flesh wants to actually function. Jesus is showing us a better way. Um, he died and he rose again. Now his name is above all the names. He has all the glory. You don't need to find some for yourself. No, just keep giving glory to Jesus. Keep finding your significance and your life in Jesus and then get to work serving others. That's the way that Jesus shows us. And so what is so unique about our savior is that he was the God who actually humbles himself because at his heart, that is who he is. And he does that to show us this unique way called humility. Let us pursue this. Let us fall in love with this and show a world that I think is starving for a better way what this actually, actually looks like. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we, we confess, I confess how much we need you. We can't do this apart from your grace and apart from the cross, just being what is in our mind, what captures our imagination, what stirs us and what excites us. And so would you, would you cause us to see your humility and your death for us and your glorious resurrection for us as what we define ourselves by, cause us to be in awe of what you've done for us and let that make us a people who are humble. God, you know how proud we are, you know how how prone we are to arrogance, how prone I am to arrogance and conceit and vainglory. Would you rid us, would you wash us of all of that? God, show us that true joy and life and hope is found in pursuing you and pursuing others with this um, amazing thing called humility. And so God, would you humble us, help us to see the areas where we're prideful, where we're so puffed up with conceit. God, would you expose those things in us? And God, would you make us like your son? God, that only happens by your grace and by a divine miracle. So God, would you make us like your son who was humble? God, show us what it means to serve, what it means to, 
God, to see others as more, how amazing would it be if we saw others as more significant than ourselves? If thousands of us would actually walk into rooms and see others and their interests and desires and listen to them and think of them, God, how that might change our city. And so God, would you use us in this? Would you awaken us to the beauty of what it means to be a humble people that your son both modeled for us and died to produce um, in us? Jesus, one last time, we confess that you are our Lord. You are the King that deserves all honor, glory, majesty, and power. Jesus, it belongs to you. May we be glad to offer that to you. And so God, would you change us, um, make us like your son, and we ask this in his great name, amen.